the story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes, when every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were, only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does, and it won't stop, not until you come home, back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming-of-age story, Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys, and A Place for Sinners. Out now. Starting Saturday, 11th of September, Season 2 of Author Question Time on Ross Jeffrey's YouTube channel. Join Bram Stoker Award-nominated author Ross Jeffrey alongside co-hosts T.C. Parker and Kev Harrison as they discuss books, writing and creativity with huge names in horror and dark fiction like Josh Malaman and Alan Baxter, alongside some of the most exciting new voices on the indie scene such as Eric LaRocca, Hayley Piper and Laurel Hightower. Come, bring your questions, join in the conversation. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers, writers, and creators. It was as if the video had unzipped my skin, slunk inside my tapered flesh, and become one with me. From the creator of This Is Horror comes a new nightmare for the digital age, The Girl in the Video by Michael David Wilson. After a teacher receives a weirdly arousing video, his life descends into paranoia and obsession. More videos follow, each containing information no stranger could possibly know. But who's sending them and what do they want? The answers may destroy everything and everyone he loves. The Girl in the Video is the ring meets fatal attraction for the iPhone generation. Available now in paperback, ebook, and audio. Welcome to Dead Headspace Spotlights. This is a mini episode of our normal show where we have a reading and a brief conversation. This is a part of Silver Shamrock's HorrorCast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we have Sonora Taylor. Say hi, Sonora. Hello, how are you? 
pretty good. And for those first-time listeners, she is, I think, third, not maybe fourth time on the show. Um, she first came on with V Castro, and then we had a solo episode with her. So if you are interested in hearing more of us talking with Sonora, check that out. Uh, just tell us a little bit about what you're going to read. Um, well, I'm going to read the very first part of the first story from my new short story collection, Someone to Share My Nightmares. This is the author copy, so you won't have this stupid little strip over it once you <laughs> order it. But um, I believe it'll be out by the time this episode airs, but it uh, was released on October 19th. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's also available through other retailers like uh, Nook or Kobo. And hopefully by the time this episode airs, you should be able to search for it on bookshop.org or through your favorite online bookstore and access the paperbacks and potentially the hardbacks through their online portal. Uh, but if you look for it on Amazon, you will definitely find it in ebook, in paperback, and in hardcover, which is new for this year. Yeah, it looked like you have a hardcover of it. I do. I got the I got myself an author copy of the hardcover, even though nice. I have the author copy of the paperback. Um, <laughs> but the paperback is all marked up with where I made edits, so this one is my clean copy. <laughs> oh, that you know what I gotta ask is that a process that you do with other books? Yes, um, my final edit is always reading the paperback copy that I order from because I, I publish through KDP. Um, mm. Amazon service and so they let you order uh, proofs for a cost of printing so it can be you know pretty cheap and so I just order one and that's my final edit uh, when I read through it to catch any mistakes I always catch at least a couple that missed you know my radar because like my editor says you can read something 20 times and still have a typo on the first page so <laughs> that's definitely true uh, you know what do you, Brennan, do you remember exactly what Philip Fricasse's advice was the first time he was on? I was very similar to that, just, you know, paying a couple of bucks, four, five, six bucks for uh, the the ugly tagged, you know, version, <laughs> uh, even just throwing like a, you know, makeshift cover in there uh, because you're going to end up reading that different than you even would on a Kindle and certainly than you would mm -hmm. on a computer screen. Yeah, I mean, most of my read-throughs are on the computer. I don't ever print out the manuscript in no small parks. I don't have a printer. But um, but I do know people who print it out to read it. I believe my editor is one of them. She'll, she'll print it out, make edits, and then put the edits back into the computer, which is how she double-checks. And um, But then, yeah, I always want to read it in paper before it goes to print. And so that's what the reading the proof copy does, because then I can read it. At, and then I can also check for things like, is the spacing correct? Are the page numbers right? You know, stuff like that. Just the little things. Although it's been very rare I've had to send something about that. Usually the edits I send to my to Doug, who illustrates the covers as well as does the graphic design. Um, he it's always stuff. It's like, oh, I made this typo, Doug. <laughs> like, can you can you fix this? And, you know, so I'm just hoping he's not like hating me for having to make all these edits. <laughs> <laughs> I heard some other really good suggestions from this um, writer, Mark Cassell, and he was saying when he prints out whatever draft it is, he makes it a landscape orientation as opposed to like just one page vertical and he divides it in the center. Um, so it's like you're looking at two pages like you would a normal book and he goes that way. It gives you the visualization to kind of look like a real book. And I, I always thought that was a cheap and really a smart approach to do it. Mm -hmm. 
Brennan, why don't you take over, sir? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, listeners are probably sick of me saying this, but I've I've been just on top of little paranoias for so long. Uh, it, one of my favorite <laughs> collections, even a few years out. And um, one of the aspects I really liked about that collection, you definitely do do a degree in this one as well. I fit, When I pick up a Sonora Taylor short story collection, I feel like I'm getting a nice little variety pack. There's always uh, flash in there. There's a little bit of poetry and there's some more meaty stories as well. So, you know, this is two years since your last collection. Uh, tell us a little bit about what went into uh, curating this one, because you write a lot of short fiction. Yeah, so um, this one was um, my first collection where the theme was decided before all the stories were in place, or at least all the majority of stories were in place. Um, because Little Paranoia started initially as a collection of flash pieces I'd written for... Um, for um it's not ladies of horror fiction this is a facebook group called ladies of horror group that started years ago and is a labor of love from nina dark angela and other editors at sirens call and um they do you know flash picture contests and so i was writing a lot of flash fiction i thought it would be great to collect it as well as write new pieces or include some pieces i'd written on the side as well as including longer stories that i'd written so you know that one just came together with less of a theme other than short and scary um but with uh someone to share my nightmares i deliberately wanted to go in and write about like the cross between horror and romance you know every single one of my books has featured at least one love scene uh but this one every single story if doesn't if it doesn't feature a love scene there's some type of relationship or at least some type of romantic dynamic i think the only story that doesn't have much of a romantic dynamic is candy um but all the others have have some type of coupling happening whether or not it ends well or not you'll just have to find out when you read the book <laughs> that's awesome i i love that and i think um you know i i know the answer to the question but uh readers who are looking for something a little bit more steamy a little bit more graphic there's uh, i think there's one story you could probably definitely point them towards um and you released um tis better to want as a kindle sig single first um so was there any kind of trepidation on your part to include it in here or was it just such a nice way to end it? No, actually, um, in the end of the Kindle version, well, I think it was a Kindle version. It was the only release in Kindle. I actually mentioned that it was going to be in the book. So I saw it as a way to kind of, you know, tease the book to new readers, perhaps, especially because I filed it under like romance and erotica um i mean i think i listed horror as well but i definitely was putting it in that section because you know it was i mean it's 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 horror in the sense that there's a demon involved I, it's not scary at all in my opinion so it's definitely a bit more romantic so <laughs> you know what you don't have to answer this but i'm curious if if you are comfortable to answer this then go ahead um if not i'll cut it out but any thought of you and V ever writing a book together? Because, like, you two, <laughs> I I want to read that story, whatever it is. We, you know, we've talked about it off and on. I think it's just because at the moment we both have too many other projects happening that I it just it. hasn't come into fruition. Um, but it is something we've talked about a little bit here and there. That's so, awesome. yeah. Yeah, she she had a, was a two-book uh, deal with Oh my God, it's slipping my mind. She, she she had some big news, publishing news. I forgot who. I she believe it was with Del Rey. 
That's a yeah. She had, I believe, two books with Elroy. That's awesome. Yeah, and she deserves it. Like she yeah. works so hard, and her writing is so great. Like I'm so happy for her. Her arena scares I care just like blew me blew me away. She's just mm-hmm. you could feel her passion in her reading, but like hearing her actually read her words is it's on another level. So speaking of reading, how about we get to yours and we could talk a little bit after uh, you okay. Do? Okay. Okay, sure. Um, so just as a reminder, um, I am reading from the first story um, in Someone to Share My Nightmares. And the, um, sorry, I should have bookmarked this, um, but the, the story is called Someone to Share My Nightmares. Start with the title story. So I'll just be reading from the very beginning about the first five pages. And um, Here's the book. It probably won't be on camera while I'm reading, but you can see it because otherwise I'll be like (laughs) reading. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. Kristen's favorite director was in town. He'd been there for almost a month, buried in a grassy knoll at the top of the local cemetery. His stone was the largest, a beacon whose notebooks, flowers, statues, and other items left in tribute cast a gilded shadow on the graves that were unknown to all except their families and friends left behind. Jonathan Ransom had not been born in Kristen's town. He hadn't even lived there, but he made sure he'd stay there in death, buried in Thornhill Cemetery in the small town of Creekwood, North Carolina. Ransom's films were haunting portraits of the South, bringing forth that unsettled quiet that most Southerners only knew as a feeling or a sense of innate displeasure with one's surroundings, a quiet anger they couldn't quite place. Ransom manifested that anger into ghosts, shadows, and monsters. He formed them into shapes, created characters that explained Kristen's deepest suspicions about where she lived. His work was celebrated across the country, and his last three films had each garnered more praise than the next. Ransom claimed that in Creekwood he'd found his muse, its empty trees, barren even in summer, and blackened creeks that flowed inches deep brought a mood to his films that actors never could. Kristen knew those scenes well, had known them ever since she first entered the woods that Ransom found delightful. She always tried to see him shoot. He was famous for only shooting at dusk or at dawn, and in the quietest corners of Creekwood that even the locals managed to avoid. If she'd had the chance to meet him, she would have been able to tell him to avoid those corners. Ransom's death was called an accident. A local found him at the bottom of a ditch, and his head was bent in an unnatural angle against the stone. Ransom's camera lay shattered next to him, all the film exposed and ruined. No one would see what Ransom saw ever again. Kristen always knew there was something wrong with the woods outside of her house. Its trees bent at odd shapes, and they never seemed to bear blossoms or fruit. Yet they lived, year in and year out. Birds built nests in their crevices, squirrels burrowed in their holes. Eggs fell to the ground before they hatched, and hawks left the bloodied remains of the squirrels on the roots. The forest's horrors began to appear in her dreams as early as elementary school. Kristen would fall asleep, and in her mind, she'd wander into a forest that no longer hid behind the trappings of flora and fauna. Between craggy trees stood corpses, their mouths frozen into a scream as their arms and hands stretched to the sky alongside the branches. The leaves on the forest floor were strewn with hair and teeth. Each nightmare ended with smoke curling at Kristen's feet and the glow of two eyes blinking in front of her. When she awoke in the safety of her room, she'd vow to stay away from such a dangerous place. 
And yet Kristen couldn't stay away. She'd walk by the woods and feel as if the smoke in her dreams were nipping at her ankles like a wolf puppy, welcoming her into its wild domain. And when she entered the woods, she felt an eerie sense of calm, like whatever had beckoned her was grateful for the company. She knew when she was welcome and when she should leave. It was as if the demon the eyes in her nightmares belonged to allowed her in so long as she listened to their whispers and left when they told her. All of his fans mourned his passing, but Kristen also mourned the loss of someone else, perhaps the only someone who understood those woods the way she had. When Jonathan Ransom spoke of the forests of Creekwood, it had been like listening to her own thoughts made clear. Whenever she shared them with anyone, they called her ridiculous or, at best, said she had the potential to write horror. Jonathan Ransom wrote horror, but what made his horror so compelling was his belief in it being real. Not a belief in monsters or ghosts, but a belief in something sinister. Something made manifest in the limited ways people could see it. Kristen saw it in her nightmares. Ransom gave her nightmares life. Kristen knew, deep down, that the woods were the woods. She wouldn't give in to the seductive pull of the nightmare of the forest until she told herself emphatically that it was a nightmare, a fantasy she enjoyed the same as any horror film. It was her imagination, one that, until Jonathan Ransom took up residence beneath the grassy knoll at the end of Thornhill Cemetery, she thought she'd shared with someone else. But Kristen wasn't going to the cemetery today. She was going straight to the source of her current pain, the ditch that had taken Jonathan Ransom's life. She walked through the silent woods, quiet even though it was still the afternoon. She carried a rose to leave at the ditch. As she neared the site of Ransom's death, the silence slowly began to slip away. She thought she heard a rustling, but as she got closer, it became a trickle. There were no creeks in the forest, at least not close to here. Kristen entered the clearing where the ditch had once been. In its place was a creek. The stone that broke Jonathan Ransom's neck was now covered by rushing water. Kristen sighed. The rainstorms from the previous week must have left their remnants in the woods. Or else the woods wanted to wash him away from her memory for good. She tossed the rose in the water, then walked away. She'd had enough of the forest for one afternoon. God damn, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Seriously, bravo. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. Brandon, go ahead, man. I- I'm digesting it. I was just going to say that that reading voice belongs in front of a campfire. Yeah, um, right. Good, good stuff. <laughs> now, I'm curious because um, I I remember you announcing the title of this book long, long, long before it came out. So what came first, the title of the book or the title of the story? Um, The story in a way, because originally that was going to be a title to a longer piece that I decided to turn into a short story. And when I decided to turn it into a short story, that was when I decided to name the collection that, um, in my first, um, time thinking of writing a collection of romantic horror, it was originally going to be called you promised me forever, which is the name of another story in the collection. But once I came up with the title, someone share my nightmares and decided to turn it into a short story, um, that became the title. 
was the uh, was it always going to be first? Because I, I, you know, with little paranoias that starts off with a little little poem. That's the, your your intro to the collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it ever a consideration to have this one later on, or was it always going to lead? It was always going to be first. I tend to want to put the title story first, even though I know that's not required. And I also thought it ended up working well because the story ends up being bookended by two di- very different stories, but about meeting demons. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was it, Brennan. Was it you that said the <laughs> said that comment about Sonora's cover for this collection about the the skeleton having sex with someone? Oh, yeah. um, I forget, oh, I think it was. Um, I think her name is Miranda, but I apologize if I have the wrong person. But it, a woman uh, tweeted on uh, saying, "When does Sonora's book with the horny skeleton come out? Because that's what I need right now." <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I made a similar comment about how it just embodies your style of writing. You know, horny uh-huh. skeleton. That's that's it. <laughs> Spooky and horny. I mean, the skeleton isn't the only horny one on the cover. I just want to point that out. That's a good point. It's it's consensual, Brian. So it is. That's very let's true. Get that right, sir. Um, you know what? I'm gonna jump away real quick from this collection to ask you before we forget about your anthology with Nico Bell. Can you oh, tell us? Yeah. Um, I can't remember when the clo- when it closes, so maybe it clo- you'll... It closes December 31st. Uh, oh, and it's okay. Called, and it's called, uh, for people who don't know, it's called Diet Riot, uh, Fatter Punk Anthology. But yes, uh, the submissions are open now, and they will close December 31st. So still quite a good amount of time to get something written, but yeah. I speak from experience. Don't let that time slip away, because it once it's gone, <laughs> you're writing in a panic two weeks before it's out and thinking, I'll never submit another story again, and then it's done. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, you know what? That's... That's absolutely true, because then you're like, it's two weeks, and it feels like I'm back in college or high school or whatever. Like, no! (laughs) Pat, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, That's excellent. So, Sonora, I was hoping you could tell us, uh, well, you could tell writers what kind of stories you're looking for, uh, and readers what kind of stories they can expect to get an anthology full of. Sure. So I know um, the openness of this may drive some writers crazy, but the truth of it is Nico and I want uh, fat positive characters. So we're really looking more at the characters than what type of story they're in, just so long as it's horror. So obviously we'll accept Splatterpunk, but we'll also accept Gothic. We'll accept Haunted Houses, Ghosts, um, Serial Killers. Just the what we're looking for is uh, horror that features one or ideally more fat characters that aren't being at best pitied or at worst villainized for being fat. Like, you know, cause a lot of times fat characters don't get a good shake anywhere, let alone in horror. And both of us were just so tired of reading it in horror that we decided to deliberately create an anthology that is not only anti fat phobia, but like just has um, good positive fat characters or not good in the sense that like, you know, they don't have to all be shining beacons of virtue. Like this is horror, you know, they can be anti-heroes. It's just, they can't be coded as bad just because they're fat, you know, like, like have, have someone like, it's so common to have someone come in and like, 
like so-and-so walked in the room, their breath was disgusting and their fat jiggled over their pants. I hated them, you know? And it's, it's just, it's sad how readily we'll accept that as like good characterization when it's not, <laughs> you know? I <laughs> so. totally get it. Looking at you, Stephen King. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> More authors than I can count, honestly. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm not going to put any on blast, but part of that is because I'd have to spend a long time thinking about <laughs> how many times I've read it. <laughs> is there any... <laughs> Sam, I'm just thinking about my chubby belly now. Thanks. Thanks, Sonora. <laughs> huh? Because um, you said the fat... J- j- jelly, jelly thing, and I was like, but see, that's I... not something that's bad. It's not inherently bad. I mean, I definitely wiggle when I walk, and <laughs> that should not be a cue to someone that I'm a villain or I'm pathetic. You know, like should totally just be a cue that. that I'm big. I'm a size sixteen. You know, like I walk around and <laughs> like, but I'm a person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that that's you know, that, I get where you two go. Or I can't talk today. I get where you two are going with that, and that's awesome. So good for you two. Uh, Thank is there, you. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything about that anthology that you would also like to talk about? Or um, if not, can we get back to the collection without spoilers? Is that possible? Sure. I think I think we can talk a little bit about the collection. And yeah, I mean, I the most I can say is, unfortunately, I can't drop, I can't like say the URL to apply for submissions because it's very long. But if you follow <laughs> either myself or Nico Bell on Twitter, we are intermittently sending it out. We'll definitely send it out more as it gets closer to the deadline. And if you search for Diet Riot, a fatter punk anthology, you should be able to find it. The URL is on Nico Bell's website. So you, you should be able to find something there. And then eventually I I want to get it up on my own site but uh i just did a bunch of updates yesterday and did not include that one so i knew i was forgetting something <laughs> <laughs> brennan you got any questions about the collection uh i wanted to know just the process behind one of my favorite stories which is the sharps um first of all um Doug did the uh, the illustration that pops up at the beginning, right? Yes, he did. I can show that on camera. Sure. Well, you're pulling and, it up. I just I, I love the tease there because you open it up and you're like, what the hell is that? And the story's a little bit later in the book. So you, you know, by the time you get there, uh, like, oh, you've shit. done some wondering. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's and it, it well, pops out at you. Um, so tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, so um, I originally went into it writing kind of, um, I was just thinking of writing like a sexually charged creature feature, and then it became, um, I mean, there's definitely still the romance and sex element, but it became more of a creature feature, and that was just part of the story. Um, I recently described it kind of similar in vain to even though this scene was important. Um, it's kind of like how in Terminator, you know, they take a break to have a sex scene between Kyle Reese and Sarah, Sarah Connor. And, you know, it, it's, it's important to the plot, but it wasn't like, you know, the whole movie was leading up to them having sex. They, in fact, they make it seem like it's incidental so that it's like, oh, in fact, it isn't because that's where John Connor came from. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 um, but regardless, what I mean by that is that the, the couple in the, in the story, this isn't too much of a spoiler they're flirting right away um you know 
that just came about like organically, but the main plot of the story is these creatures and they're trying to get off of the island and trying to figure out where they came from. And, um, and I just had a lot of fun writing it because I don't normally write creature features and I watch them sometimes, but usually most of the creature features I watch aren't very good because they're on mystery science theater 3000. I usually (laughs) won't seek out creature features in theaters, but I do enjoy like some of the ones I've seen. I like the fun entailed with them because I realized I could just like make up a monster. And I mean, I wanted it to follow some rules, but I could also just like have some fun with this one be like, Oh no, now they're attacking. Oh no, this is happening, (laughs) you know? So, so I think, you know, I think that fun kind of translates through in addition to the desire to, um, to, uh, put the eco slant on it for, you know, I I don't want to spoil too, too much, but there, that is, it is a piece of eco horror as well as being creature feature. Um, it's actually when you, when, um, slight spoiler here, when you read about a possible event towards the second, third, it is based on an actual thing that happened in North Carolina. The creatures were not an actual thing, but something else was. I definitely had fun as, as odd as it, it never gets any less odd to tell a horror author that I had fun reading their book, but Hey, when it's true, it's true. (laughs) Um, we were talking about V earlier. I think it's worth noting that she wrote a really excellent forward in there, just praising the living bejesus out of you. And it's, I love it because, you know, we know from having you and her on together and from talking to you both separately that, you know, you guys have such an, excellent friendship that developed you know an ocean away and uh you got to meet each other at scares that care this year mm-hmm. um so when you read that forward there's just so much love and you know genuine appreciation of your work but there's just so much love behind it and uh, you know i'm glad i'm glad you included it because it's, it's a real nice way to kick things off Oh, yeah. And it was such an honor that she agreed to do it because when I was putting together this collection, she was the first person I thought of, of course, be like, I'd love it if she wrote a forward because she writes romantic horror. She writes sexy horror. I'm like, I would just be so thrilled to have her uh, entering this collection. So I was really grateful when she agreed to do it. And, you know, I just it just meant the world to me when I read her words. She really she it, it raids with a lot of love because she is full of love. She is one of the most genuine and nicest people out there. And if, if, um, you know, she also, she, she also takes no shit. I mean, you know, she, if you're in her corner, you're in her corner, but when you are, it's just like, it's wonderful. Like she, she, she's a wonderful person. She's a champion. She's a cheerleader. She, she reaches back to help people. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, no bad words are going to come out of our mouths about her. (laughs) She's a sweetheart. (laughs) She's a sweetheart, and she writes some killer stories. Um, Let's go to the final thoughts, Brennan. Yep, sure. Okay, Sonora, do you have any thoughts? I was going to say, before before we hit that, is there anything else you want to share about this, uh, your upcoming release? Um, just that it's, it's, um, out now and I hope you all pick up a copy, um, and I hope that when you do and when you read it, uh, whatever you think of it, please leave a review online after you do. That's very helpful for indie authors like me. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's definitely worth repeating probably in every episode. <laughs> 
I, I never would have thought of it. In, I mean, I've written my, my whole life, but if I wasn't a writer, I probably wouldn't think about it. Way to kill the room, Pat. So, final thoughts, Sonora. I will say, like, you know, even I'll, the one thing I'll add is someone who I, I, I can't stand writing reviews. I, I There's a reason I don't do it. And that's why I really respect people who do it, um, like like the two of you, because I like I can barely write a sentence. But speaking as someone who is not a reviewer by trade, that is what I do when I leave a review. I write a couple of key sentences. It doesn't have to be like call me Ishmael when you're leaving an Amazon <laughs> review or a Goodreads review as, as a reader, you know, as a reviewer, review it however you want. But as re as a reader, which I am when I'm reading these books, I give it some stars. I sometimes put a little explanation and then that's it. But that all of that helps with bringing it to people's attention because if nothing else, it shows people that the book has been read. Yeah. And by and more than like two takes, people. And it's five <laughs> minutes of your afternoon. Yeah. So, readers, if you have read Sonora's book, please take five minutes of your afternoon and leave her some stars in a sentence. <laughs> How presumptuous. It could be their morning. <laughs> so, Sonora, any final thoughts? <laughs> um... That was kind of one final thought there. Um, I am working on the anthology with Nico, like I said. I've got some short stories out for submission, fingers crossed that they get accepted. And in the meantime, I'm just slowly working on my next projects. I'm trying to be a little nicer to myself in terms of giving myself time to get these done because I have turned out um, seven books in three years. And so I need to remember <laughs> that it's okay to like, take a little break. Um, That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, I should clarify so people don't think I'm like Stephen King levels of, of, um, prolificacy. Uh, two of those books were like four stories long, but they were still writing. So <laughs> totally counts. yeah, it does. Brennan, any final thoughts, sir? Nope. Thanks. As always, thank you uh, for your time, Sonora. We love chatting with you. And now you. we uh, can add to our, you know, kind of repertoire. We love hearing your campfire-esque storytelling <laughs> voice. We will have that to way. have you back for your next release. Yes, definitely. Uh, whenever that is. <laughs> no rush. Don't, Take your time. Yeah, no rush. No rush. But I will. Pr I do promise it will be sometime like within the next couple of years. I won't like suddenly disappear like, <laughs> like you know, 10, 15 years later, no book. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, where can people follow you? Oh, um, so you can follow me on Twitter um, at Sonora Writes, and you can also visit me at SonoraTaylor.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Sonora Taylor. Perfect. My final thoughts are, as always, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, love hearing you now read on top of talking. So thank you very much, listeners. Please leave a review if you have read this book. If you haven't, please pick it up. It's worth your time. Um, and as always, there are many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Dead Headspace.